Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Four different ways that we often uh, approach God, and we talked about four different postures that we take that um, have good in them, but they tend to miss the mark when we make that the central way that we approach God. So we talked about life under God. We talked about how Life under God is this way of saying, God, I'm going to obey you, and I believe that as I obey you, you will bless me, which is true, except the way that we work, we often turn this into a contract with God. Like, I'll do my part, and then, God, you're obligated to do your part. So I will obey you, and you will bless me. Are we clear on that, God? And we turn our relationship with God into this, if I hold up my end of the bargain, I obligate God to uh, hold up his end of the bargain as I see fit. But what happens when life gets messy and God isn't showing up the way that we think he should or the way that we want him to, then we can get real bitter against God. And we end up, uh, we end up throwing it off saying, this Christianity thing, this Jesus thing doesn't work because honestly, we've turned it into um, morality and that's all it is. And so... Um, with churches that lead like this and pastors that lead like this, we end up becoming morality police to say, if I can just get people to obey, then God will bless them and bless our church and bless our country. Only that misses the point. Um, So we talked about life under God. And then the flip side of that would be life over God to say, I'm not really interested in um, really a relationship with God. When I look at the Bible I'm looking for rules and principles that I can follow because they work. If I don't have, if I'm not a Christian, uh, say I'm an atheist, this is a life over God posture because I don't need God. I can look at science. I can look at the natural law. I can look at the way that the world works, and I can figure life out from that. Even pastors do this. You may do this. I've done this a lot where I look at the Bible and I say, God, will you give me instructions for life? Because once I have those instructions, then I can live a productive life. Then I can live a good life. But we miss God in, we miss God in this way. So rather than seeking God, I'm seeking directions from God. And rather than looking at the Bible as God's word to us so that we can connect better with him, we look at the Bible as an end in, it, uh, in and of itself. So I end up worshiping the Bible and the rules and how smart I can become instead of having the Bible, God's word, lead me to a relationship with him. So life under God, a life of obedience doesn't work because we make it a contract with God where he's obligated to bless us. And life over God doesn't work because I just, once I get the instructions, then I don't have any need for him anymore. That's life under and life over. We talked about life from God where we end up saying uh, all of life is a gift and God gives and he gives and he gives and I'm so grateful and my relationship with God is all about what he gives to me, which is good and we should be grateful except that when we pray, we end up turning God into a vending machine. I'd like one of those and one of those and one of those and I think I have enough credit that I should get that from you, okay? And When we approach God uh, from a life from God perspective, who's at the center of things? I am. I am. We live in a consumer, 
narcissistic world. And it says, God exists to give me good things. So while it's true that God is the giver of all good gifts, and God delights in giving us things, when we turn our relationship into a life-from-God relationship, we put us at the center, and we miss the point. And then we can do a life for God. So a life under, a life over, a life from, and a life for. And this says, I want to do something meaningful for God. I want to live my life with purpose. And I want to, I want to go out and I want to change the world. And kids grow up in church thinking, if you want to be really spiritual or if you want to take your, your relationship with God really seriously, well, you better try and become a youth pastor or a real pastor, which I've always hated the... <laughs> The comparison there. Or go be a missionary. There's nothing wrong with youth pastors and pastors and missionaries. God calls people to do those things. He just doesn't call everybody to do them. And he doesn't call the people who are the most spiritual always to do those things. God calls you to work meaningfully. And when we approach God with a life for God approach, we say... If I do this for you, you will give me purpose. You will give me a meaningful life, which is good. Except that I start to want purpose more than I want God. And here again, I miss the mark. So in all of these, they have this ring of truth. Does, uh, does God want our obedience? And does he bless us when we obey? Yep. Does he want us, does he give us principles and rules in the Bible that we would be wise to follow? Yep. Does he, uh, does he give us good gifts and should we be grateful? Yes. Does he want us to live our life for him and giving? Yes. But if that's the center of who we are with God, we, we, we're not hitting it. And when we talked last week about a different, uh, a different way to approach God that is life with God, that says, uh, from the very beginning, God has been a God in the Trinity, in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God has been a God of community. God has been with himself in community. And John opens up his, uh, his gospel. It says, in the, beginning, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's describing God as a community-based God. And when we run away from God, and we turn our back on him, and we live... Uh, a life over God that says, I'm going to live the way I want to live and I'm going to be my own boss and rule maker. When we run away, God's rescue plan that the kids learn about today in their classes, God's rescue plan is to send Jesus so that we could be with God again. Jesus, when he's calling his apostles, we talked about last week, says he's, like he appointed 12 and he called them apostles so that they would be with him. That was the first thing. I don't want you to just do good things for me. I don't want you just to obey me. I don't want to just let you receive. I want you to be with me. And so we're, last week we started this series called Growing in Grace, which is a series on uh, spiritual disciplines. And oftentimes if we look at the spiritual disciplines, they have, it, it doesn't really feel like it's a series called Growing in Grace. Because it's, it can become a checklist. It can become, these are things that I have to do if I want to be spiritual. These are things that I have to do if I want God to bless me. And we, again, we miss the point in it. The spiritual disciplines are things 
that put us in position to do life with God, to experience a relationship with him so that we're not just asking more from God, but we're asking for more of God. I want a deeper connection with Jesus. And the spiritual disciplines help to build a spiritual kind of muscle that put us in position where he can meet us. So last week we talked about prayer. We talked about uh, Micah having this uh, dinner table, Micah, will you pray? And he's three years old and he says, I'm not very good at praying. And even at this young age, we we need to correct this to say prayer is not about uh, communication with God and you better be really crisp and clear. Prayer really ultimately is about communing with God. Is about an open door that Jesus wants to accept where he'd sit down together and talk. We talked about prayers of worship and prayers of confession and prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of asking and making requests of God to take some time to pray in those ways. All as a way of saying, God, I want to be with you. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And we need to be reminded all through this series, I think, that that's God's heart, is that we would be with him. And James pointed out, James Griffin pointed out last week, like, what an incredible invitation for the here and now. And yet, Jesus and his kingdom aren't fully present yet. There is a coming kingdom and a coming reality that says, now we know in part, now we can be with God in part and he can be with us and in us and lead us and we can do life with him. But someday, and we keep longing for the day when Jesus comes back, establishes his kingdom and we are fully, fully with him. And so we stay hungry. This isn't all there is. We have an incredible opportunity right now and it will just keep getting better and better and better. So, Last week, we talked about prayer. Today, we're going to talk about silence. Why is it so awkward? Okay, you can breathe a little bit. Silence can be so awkward. Part of the reason I think silence can be so awkward is we just live in a noisy world. We live in a noisy, noisy world where the the TV and the radio are on almost constantly. I don't know. How many of you uh, in the car drive in silence? You'll be weird if you do that. Okay? <laughs> often, uh, which might be a good thing actually, often in the car, like I have music going on, and it, sometimes the music isn't noisy enough, so I put on talk radio because I want people talking at me. I, I like uh, conversation in the car, even if I can just listen in, because to turn the radio off, it just feels quiet and it's uncomfortable for some reason. Advertisements fly by us uh, everywhere from our phones to our TVs to billboards. Everywhere we go, there's uh, advertisements that are actually, it's like visual noise. Uh, we're going down the road and we, things are screaming at us. 
without making a sound. DVDs in cars, cell phones that are beeping. How many of you guys have ever experienced the phantom buzz from your cell phone that you thought was in your pocket? And you're like, oh, oh wait, it's not even there. How odd. It's like we're conditioned to have things going off and things buzzing and things uh, being noisy around us and we like it. Social media is a way where we can scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and see what's going on in people's lives or see what they're projecting about their lives. But I'm not sure how meaningful it is. I get caught, uh, and maybe you do too, I get caught just scrolling and I've scrolled for 10 minutes and and my brain is just kind of numb. It's not like I'm reaching out and caring and saying, hey, I saw this, are you okay? Or, hey, this is going... Like, I just, I know, and I pass on, and I, I see funny videos or whatever. We live in a noisy world. And so that's one. The world around us is loud. Number two, the reason silence is so awkward is because silence isn't productive. Silence is like stopping. And our culture wants to be efficient. How can I spend the least amount of time on something and get the best results? If you go into an organization and you interview for a job and you say, efficiency really isn't my thing. I, I really care. I just, sometimes I just want to be quiet. And I'll, I'm going to take an hour of silence. They'll be like, that was enough. Thank you. Uh, next. Like we... Highly value efficiency. We highly value getting in, getting it done, and moving on to the next thing. And silence isn't about that. So silence makes us feel uncomfortable because nothing is happening. You can even, I don't know how many of you guys listen to podcasts at 1.5 speed. Because, you know, man, I can shave off 15 minutes of a podcast if I listen to him a little bit chipmunky. And, and I, can still get, I can still get the content, but it's more efficient, Right? We have people guilty of that here? Okay, I could have voted for that. I could have counted on that, Cheryl. (laughs) Silence reveals a vulnerability within us. So not only is the world loud, and not only do we value efficiency, there's something deeper. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this painful silence when you're by yourself, And nothing is going on. And things don't feel good. You are not at peace. Something is gnawing at you. It's like we don't want to be alone. That is the worst. Deep down, like we're lonely. And so we're we're so lonely sometimes we can be surrounded by people and still be lonely. So we need to talk today about the difference between being alone and being lonely. And they're very different. Because you can be be with gobs of people and be lonely and separate. Or you can be alone and be at peace. And, And it doesn't have to feel always incredibly awkward and painful. So... Silence and solitude is an invitation from God to stop producing, to stop being efficient, and to just to be with him. 
Even our prayers sometimes, and what we practiced last week is, I want to adore God. I want to confess before God. I want to thank God. I want to ask God. Silence opens up an opportunity to say, God, do you want to say anything? Like, I'll just, I'll just be quiet. God, if you want to say anything, I'm just going to sit here. And sometimes the silence ends, and you're like, well, you lost that opportunity, God. <laughs> and sometimes he actually says stuff. Sometimes in the quiet, you hear from him in a way that you couldn't have with all the noise. And Jesus invites us from loneliness into solitude. And he modeled this. Jesus himself modeled a life of solitude. He, had, he modeled a life of silence where he would go off by himself. By himself. He started his ministry. Uh, as he starts his public ministry, the first thing that he does is he goes off into the desert for 40 days. And he fasts for 40 days. And he doesn't have anybody else with him. He's just alone with the Father, and he's dealing with temptations that could take him off track of where he's going. Before he chooses the 12, he spends an entire night in prayer just by himself. When he heard the news of John the Baptist's death, he said he, he went to a lonely place, and he just spent time by himself. After feeding the 5,000, it says he went up the hills uh, by himself. Following a night of long work, it says, in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place. When the, when the apostles come back, uh, having gone on a, a short-term mission trip, they come back and they're like talking about all of the things that uh, Jesus had told them about, and then they experience, he said, okay, let's, let's come away to a lonely place. And I don't think he means lonely. I think he means solitary. Let's come away. Let's get away with people. Because if you're only ever with people, you can't hear the quiet. Jesus, even as he's approaching the cross, spends a night praying in the garden where he's pulling away and he's getting quiet and he's crying out to God. But he, he, also, he also has this determination to say, and yet not even what I want, God, but what, what do you want? And I'm going to follow you there. By pulling away, Jesus was able to do this rhythm and balance in life. That in the midst of chaos, he, could, he still could have an inner peace and a relationship with the Father. But what did Jesus know that changed silence into something that he invited? that changed silence into something that he sought out. Silence and solitude um, are about creating a space where we can listen and we can hear. So have you ever, um, have you ever, been, um, have you ever been with somebody who constantly cuts you off in conversation? Or if you're with a group of people, they are constantly jumping in and talking about how how that story relates to them. And then they'll, they'll, you're, you've been talking about this, but all of a sudden you're off talking on, in a totally different track and it relates to them and everybody else is left going kind of like, what, what just happened? I, I think we become that way with God sometimes, often, I think. 
We become that way with God, where God wants to speak into us, and we're like, oh, yeah, 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 let me tell you about this. And God's like, okay, let me, I want to talk to you. And we're like, yeah, let me, I, want, I need to talk about this and talk about this and talk about this. This, this person that we've experienced likely, you, you get, you feel like something's missing, right? You feel like, what's going on with you that you can't, that you have to make everything about you? There's something deeper going on. Or we're just like, man, that's annoying. I don't want to hang out with that person anymore. Okay? But if we start to care about them, we say, like, something's going on that is causing them to make everything about them. On the flip side, have you ever been with somebody who just looks at you? When you're speaking, and you know that they're listening. When, you, when you're speaking to them, they don't even have to say a thing. You might be on the phone and you're like, are you still there? But you, like, you know that their focus is on you. They're not interrupting. If they talk, maybe it's in the form of a question because they, they want to understand more. Which person would you rather be around when you have something to share? Like You want the person who's going to listen, right? You want the person who won't just turn it into their stuff. Because this person has learned a discipline of shutting up. This person has learned the discipline of being quiet and to say, it's okay if I don't say anything. And even if I don't have the answers, I don't have to pretend like I do. Maybe the best thing that I can do for somebody else is just to be quiet. But when I'm by myself, maybe the best thing that I can do is to create a space where I can listen to God. I'm going to cut out all the voices. I'm going to cut out all the noise. And I just want to hear, God, if you have anything to say, do it. In 1 Kings 19, we get this really cool sequence of events in 1 Kings 18 and then 19 uh, on two different mountaintops. So in 1 Kings 18, you get to see the prophet Elijah um, in a spiritual battle against 400 prophets of Baal. And these guys uh, did not love God, did not worship God, were worshiping all kinds of things that was not God. They were in direct opposition to God. And the king and the queen at the time loved their prophets because their prophets would tell them what they wanted to hear. And Elijah was a voice that was speaking for God. And so Elijah brings up this competition of sorts that says, okay, let's see whose God really is powerful. And 1 Kings 18 sets up this duel between Elijah and the 400 prophets who are like, make an altar, make an altar, and then call out to your God to, to burn it with fire. And so the 400 prophets get to work, and they, uh, they build their altar, and they put the wood on it, and then they start uh, praying, and that's not working, so they start uh, praying louder, and then they start dancing, and they whip up into a frenzy and actually start cutting themselves to show uh, their passion and um, how much they were focused on this, and nothing happens. And Elijah gets cocky, and he actually says, hey, before I go, why don't you dump a whole bunch of water on mine? Like, okay, rub it in. And he says, God, like, uh, do your thing. And it burns up, and God shows up in this incredible way that says that 
you might be outnumbered 400 to 1. But if you have God, that's more powerful. And God shows up and says, I'm the only one worthy of worship. And Elijah could do a victory dance, except he learns that the queen is really ticked off because 400 of the people who were telling him all those, those sweet things, they're dead. And she gets ticked, and she kind of says, I'm going to get Elijah. And he just has this mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel. And instead of saying, wait, I just saw God show up in power, he runs away. So Mount Carmel is this victory. And then he runs and he runs and he runs and he gets so tired that he faints. And God picks him up and gives him more energy and says, I want you to go to this mountain, this Mount Horeb, which has also been called Mount Sinai. You know what happened on Mount Sinai? Moses went up the mountain and met with God and God met Moses in fire and in thunder and in this big booming voice and Moses walked down with what? The Ten Commandments, right? And if you've seen the movie, uh, you get one perspective of how that went, okay? So Moses walks down having just experienced God in the thunder and in the lightning and the quaking and God is there. And now Elijah's on this same mountain. God has called Elijah back to this mountain. And God says, I want you to go to the mountainside. I want you to go to the edge. And I want you to wait because I'm going to show up. And 1 Kings 19 says, there was fire and there was wind and there was an earthquake. But God wasn't in any of it. And then, and then it says, then there was a still small voice. And some translations will make this note to say, yeah, that doesn't go far enough. This, this was, the ESV makes a comment and it says, this was a sound, a thin silence. It was not even like a fat silence. It's a thin silence. God shows up in the sound of silence. And what he's saying is, there are going to be moments where I show up with a boom. And there are going to be moments where you will only ever hear me if you are quiet. And I'm inviting you into that because I don't want you to just follow me for the show. I want to be with you. And I want to give you a piece that says, even if the show isn't going on, it's still okay. I'm still with you. Our job as we seek life with God is to be intentionally quiet so we can listen. So let's talk about ways if we wanted that. Let's talk about ways that we could discipline ourselves to say, how can I create silence? How can I create solitude? What can I do to invite God to speak into my life when I'm quiet? So we start, and I would say, um, I have found Richard Foster really helpful in this. Richard Foster wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline, and a whole bunch of people from Tim Keller to Dallas Willard have written on spiritual disciplines. Um, but I, I have loved what Foster has to say. So he talks about little solitudes. It doesn't have to be great mountainside experiences where you, 
like everything goes away. Often if you start, like start with little bits. So if you have if you have the blessing of waking up in your bed without kids screaming at you, you have a moment of solitude that you can grab right there. Say, even before you get out of bed, you don't even have to make it an eloquent prayer. You say, God, anything? And you take a moment to say, okay, I'm here. I'm going to be quiet. Traffic can actually be a blessing because you can't go anywhere and you're not being efficient. So why not take the time to say, God, I'm here. I'm not going to turn on the radio. I might actually turn it off. I'm not going to listen to another podcast. I'm not going to listen to another thing. I'm actually going to take the time. You have stopped me. Now I'll get quiet. People have thrown out the phrase like stop and smell the roses. And that actually can be a good thing. If you're walking down a street and you see something that catches your attention, why not just stop and appreciate it for a little bit? And you can even ask God in it to say, God, is there anything you want to say to me right here? And it's not this, it doesn't have to be this kind of fruity, I'm going to make up what God wants to tell me. I'm giving God an invitation to speak. And he can use all kinds of vehicles to speak to me. We tried this last night. We went on a family hike after dinner. And uh, as we're walking, I said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to try. Here's an experiment. Here's a game that we're going to play. For the next few minutes, we're going to walk in silence. And nobody's going to say anything. And I want you to pay attention to all the things that you hear because we're not talking and it was beautiful, and it was the most spiritual event, or we didn't even make it two seconds. You get to pick. And you're right if we didn't, pick, if we didn't make it two seconds. It's hard to be silent sometimes. And if you have kids, it's near impossible sometimes. And um, what we're trying to do is just create spaces. It's like, even if it's noisy, is there a way that I could get quiet inside? Sometimes, maybe just go outside before you go to bed and listen outside, and it's different. And, and enjoy that and ask God if he wants to meet you there. So those are, those are little solitudes that you can grab. There's also uh, talk about like creating places that would be places of quiet for you. One of my favorite things when I was in Colorado on an internship, um, it was every weekend I would drive to Rocky Mountain National Park. And I would use it, um, I would use it just for quiet. I'd hike up to a mountain lake and sit on the edge of the lake and just be quiet in the woods there. Sometimes I fell asleep. Sometimes I read. Sometimes I just sat there and looked at stuff. And we don't have Rocky Mountain National Park, but Dane County is beautiful. Like, this area that we live in, Madison, is beautiful. This last week, um, I drove around, and I just sat by a park, and I'm still getting to know the parks. It's right on uh, Lake Mendota. And I walked to the edge and just sat there on a big, funky tree and read, and then these ducks swam by, and I just stopped. And I sent uh, Leslie a picture of a duck. 
And she's like, good, you're being productive. <laughs> no, I'm just being quiet. I'm just enjoying this. And God can use that in a healing kind of way. Find places that can be quiet for you. It might even be just a chair. Like, that's my quiet chair. That's my happy place. That's, my, that's the place that I go where I just stop talking. And you might create a family rule that says, look, if mom is in the quiet chair, don't talk to her. She's in, she's in a different place. Uh, but you can set something up to say, I want to I create spaces. When you pray, maybe go through lists of things that you want to say to God. But then also in your prayer, maybe incorporate times where you don't say anything to him. Maybe take technology fasts. Where you say, I'm going I'm to put my phone down when I get home from work. And I'm not going to pick it up unless there's something that I need to get to. Because I'm, I'm a huge, um, I do this all the time, where I, it's just natural for me to grab my phone out of my pocket and look, is there something? Is there a notification? Please give me a notification. What's the Amazon deal of the day? Target have anything on clearance? Facebook scroll, oh, that one's funny. I should listen to it. But I don't want Leslie to know that I'm really uh, watching, so I'm going to watch a video silently which is really awesome, and Leslie still knows that I'm looking at my phone, and it's, I'm not hiding anyway, okay? Maybe just put the, the thing down. We can. We lived life before they were around. We can keep going with them not. Maybe you go a whole week without posting anything to say, I don't have to justify my existence. I don't have to be cool. I don't have to want people to like what I'm doing. Maybe I'm just going to stop and quit justifying myself. Maybe, maybe you want to take this silence thing to a, a different level and you say, I'm going to try to go a, a day without words. Um, and you're going to have to be careful with this because you can get fired. Okay. But is there a way that I could go through a day where I don't speak and I focus on listening to God and to people and I focus on what are they saying to me and are, are there ways that I could communicate without words? Are there ways that I could uh, love people and communicate that I'm here and I'm present instead of saying, whole day, I'm not doing anything. You're good at charades. Silence isn't supposed to be a punishment for other people, right? I'm going to give you the silent treatment. But what if we could create that space in us? Leslie did this a few years ago um, as part of our uh, a sabbatical that we did. Um, she went to a cabin in the woods that was just focused on silent retreats. Take a couple days and just go and you... Like, the rules of the place say, if you want to come here, you can't have your cell phone on. Like, you can't bring movies. You can't bring, you have to be quiet. You can bring books. But you need to get quiet. And I remember her getting home and being frustrated that God hadn't shown up. And then I watched for the next several weeks as she kept unpacking the experience and saying, oh, man, God was really doing stuff that I didn't know at the time. And... 
I keep on receiving the benefit of getting quiet. And she did it again recently. Just say, let's carve out space. There's so much noise in life, and I have so many responsibilities, and kids are hanging on me and calling for things. What if I could set up a way that I could just go to a desert like Jesus did and deal with stuff and be quiet? James says, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. What if we started incorporating that kind of presence in our life? Psalms 4.4 says, uh, talking about being on your bed at night, that you would search your heart and be silent. Silence is awkward. It's not normal. It's not productive. And it reveals a vulnerability that we're just not comfortable with. But here's the invitation. You can be vulnerable with God. You don't have to sit in pain in silence. In silence, you can receive the invitation of Jesus that says, I came so that you could be vulnerable and whole. I came so that that discomfort that you feel because you're alone and lonely, because stuff isn't right inside, I came to bring you healing that you don't have to stop pretending. You don't have to stop. You don't have to keep wearing a mask that says, "I'm okay. I'm just fine." You can be vulnerable because I've already paid for it. The wrong that you've done and the wrong that has been done to you. When you give it to Jesus, there's a reason he's called the great physician. It's because he can work healing in your life. You don't have to justify yourself to God. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. That we could stand with Jesus in front of the Father and be justified, not state our case. Jesus is our case. Jesus is, is our advocate. And when he said, let the little children come to me, He wasn't doing it because they could be productive. He wasn't doing it because they could help the mission. He wasn't doing it to like build momentum. He was doing it because he loved them. They didn't offer anything. And when he tells us to come to him like little children, that's an invitation to not bring anything, to not have to justify our existence. Let God meet you in the silence, even if it feels empty. One of the most moving times of worship for me um, was over a decade ago. And a guy, uh, the worship leader at, a time, at the time, stood up and he started talking about going through a divorce that he didn't want and pain that he hadn't invited but was very real in his life and how he had been able to take that to God and he just felt so empty. Everything about life had been sucked out. And our inclination, when we feel empty, is to fill it with something. We chase after all kinds of things to fill the emptiness inside. We have addictions that we can't even identify. Because we're trying to fill an emptiness, we'll fill a void. And this guy wrote a song... And the lyrics say, but I will stay empty. 
I will keep waiting. I will stay empty until you fill me up. What if we gave God that kind of permission? That said, I'm not going to race and try and fill my life and my heart and my void with uh, anything that I could put into it. I'm going to discipline myself to stay empty. And God, I'm going to let you take care of that. And if you want me to go through a season of emptiness, then I will. God, if you want to fill me, then I'll receive that. The one warning that I would give you with silence and asking God to speak to you is test what you hear. Because there are a lot of voices that are going for your attention and you can say, God, speak to me and some other voice can get in and start telling you things that are messed up. So if you think in the silence that you hear from God, but it's like, I don't know. Talk with other people about that who love Jesus. Ask yourself if it's consistent with what God has said in the word. If it's consistent with what God has already said in the Bible. Because God, one of the things I love about God is he's always consistent. God is not an inconsistent God. Sometimes his actions look like that, but his character, his character is consistent. So he will not tell us to do something that is in direct violation of something he's already said. You get a weird message that you think is from God. Test it. But don't let the weird voices make you afraid of inviting God into the silence. God can use that. And we can discipline ourselves. So we started with a pretty awkward time of silence. And we're going to finish with a time of silence. And after a little while, the worship team will come up. And they'll break the silence. And we'll go into a time of communion. And I I want to use communion this morning as a time to say, Jesus, you are my justifier. Jesus, you did everything so that I could stand before God. My sin separated me and I couldn't get back. And you took that on yourself. And what you offer me is a life with you and a life with the Father and one that eventually will be right in front of him forever. I long for that day. So that's what communion is. Thank you, Jesus, for being my justifier. Between now and then, invite God into your silence.